If you have your Bible this morning, if you turn with me to Galatians 1, we're going to begin in verse 6. Some men in Galatia had gotten off base. They were going in the wrong direction. And the Apostle Paul is getting them back on the right path. He's trying to help them to think in the right way, remember the gospel that he had preached to them, and to get them thinking right. And you know, in America today, that's what we need. We need for the men to stand up, to think right, to do right, to be right, and to work in the fields that are ripe unto harvest. Let's look together at verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, from the Lord, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul in these verses is showing how he was bold in the faith. I mean, he comes right out, chapter 1 first verses to say, listen guys, you need to get online. You're on the wrong step. You're in the wrong queue. You're going the wrong direction. Uh, He had great freedom in Christ to speak the truth, to speak up, to speak out, and that's what he did. This whole portion of the book of Galatians shows Paul as a real man with some real problems that he was dealing with, and it shows some of his real strengths. I want to talk with you about real men this morning. The wives that are here this morning know, of course, a great deal about their husbands. You know that they can be very brave or they can be cowardly. They can be soft or they can be very loud. They can be mean or they can be very, very loving. Children that are here today know that their father's can be patient, or they can be very impatient. Family life specialist Dr. Delmer Holbrook and his wife were experts on the parent-child relationship. They've written a lot of books. They've traveled all over America many times, speaking in conferences about the parent-child relationship. They have surveyed, of course, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids uh, to... Uh, write their books to get the facts uh, straight from the kids. They came up with a list of the three things that fathers say the most in responding to their children. First is, I'm too tired. The second one is, we don't have enough money. The third one is, keep quiet. Fathers uh, can not only be patient, but they can be very impatient. They can also be helpful or they can be aloof. They can be a swell fella or they can be a stranger. So many fathers today are strangers to their children. The importance of parental presence as a support to the children 
is so, so very important. It is a clear sign that the parents care when they take the time to come to their children's performance at school or to watch them on the athletic field, particularly when the children know that the parents are not there for their own pleasure or their own enjoyment. The young father went to visit his son's third grade class meeting. Uh, The teacher had sent out a notice to all the parents and wanted them all to be there to show support for what their kids were doing in school. The father was sitting about 10 feet away from a a group of uh, boys that were in the third grade. His son was one of them. Uh, They were talking in a circle uh, to each other. The father was far enough away, about 10 feet away, uh, to not sit in, not to be included on his son's conversation with his friends, but he was close enough to where he could hear what they were saying. The first boy said, my daddy is a doctor, and he makes lots of money, and we have a great big swimming pool. Daddy is seeing some sick people right now. The second child said, my father is a lawyer, and he flies to Washington, and he talks to real important people all the time. In fact, he's up there right now talking to somebody. The third child said, my daddy owns a company, and we have our own airplane, and and they're out in Colorado skiing right now. They flew out there on our airplane. The young father's son was the last to speak, and he said, my daddy is here. And he turned and looked at his father and gave a real strong, proud smile. The father said that he would never forget that moment. Well, what are fathers made of? Paul, as you know, was a single man, but he directed people that were fathers. He tried to get the men of Galatia to stay strong in their family, stay strong in the word, stay strong in the message that Paul had had preached to them. What are fathers made of? One man said that a father is a thing that is forced to endure childbirth without an anesthetic. Sometimes fathers go off to war. The mothers get to cry, but the fathers aren't supposed to. Fathers are the ones that give daughters away to other men that aren't nearly good enough. But somehow they can have grandchildren that are smarter than anybody else's. Fathers have to go off and work each day, and sometimes they're not really appreciated for what they're doing. Well, someone has asked where fathers go when they die. I hope your dad is already in heaven. If he's not, I pray that he is still making plans to be there 
when he passes. There are some gates there that need oiling, some stairs that need a little repair, some trees that need to be trimmed. Fathers do that kind of thing better than anybody else. On Mother's Day, I said some really nice things about you ladies. Uh, Today, we've got to kind of balance that up a little bit. It needs to be said this morning that there is nothing finer than a strong Christian man that is a strong Christian father that gives attention not only to his wife, but to the children directly every day. It's a great thing if they can be smart and handsome and rich and a great athlete, but it's best if they are a strong Christian father. The Christian man has unbelievable pressure at the office. There are the dirty jokes, the flirtatious women, the pressure to get ahead no matter what ethic must be employed. There are those things that he wants to do for his wife that he can't do because they can't afford it. There is the image that he wants to keep, to maintain for his children. The dog doesn't even seem to understand, sometimes puts his dirty paws on the light suit. Men have it rough sometimes. Fathers sometimes have a rough path to tread. Of course, a a Christian wife can make it a lot easier. Christian kids enlighten the load, but even Christians have trouble and times get hard and the options seem like they are few. There's a hymn called The Church Triumphant. The key thought in that hymn is that God always has had a people. I want you to think about that this morning. Paul was preaching to these people that had turned and gone in the wrong direction. He was trying to correct them and bring them back. But Paul was there. Paul was on the right uh, line. He was on the right road. God has always had a people. And God always will have a group of folk. Hopefully some strong Christian fathers that will stand in the right place at the right time, fearlessly representing their Lord and their Savior to the world. You remember back when there were a band of disciples that followed Jesus? Peter, James, John. They were a part of God's family. They were important People. God has always had a people. And then there was the great apostle Paul. He had great adversity. People came against him, it seemed like, almost every day of his life. But he was bold in the faith. He was strong. There was Tertullian and Origen that stood for Christ in the second and third centuries. There were the theological liberals that tried to rape the word of God by theological controversies where they would come in and 
and try and lead everybody to a new height of understanding. That wasn't what the gospel said. The same thing that that Paul was facing in Galatia. Each time they did that, there were some men that opposed those theological liberals. God had his people. Some Christian men stood tall. Some were burned at the stake. Some were stoned during that fourth century. In the 5th century, Augustine, the great intellectual for God, stood his ground and convinced the people of his day of the lasting power and the everlasting love of God. Around the year 800 A.D., Charlemagne carried the Christian gospel literally across the known world as he won military conquests for Rome all along the way. He shared the faith. On October the 31st, 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther went up to the door of the church at Wittenberg and tacked there his 95 theses on the door. He realized that indulgences were ridiculous, had no place in the family of faith. As a biblical scholar, he stood for God. God has always had his people. In 1564, John Calvin died after giving his whole life to studying the word of God. A prolific writer, a supporter of the idea that all people should get a job and should work and should save their money. You perhaps have heard of the Calvinistic work ethic. That's something that I particularly appreciate. In the early 1600s in the American colonies, men laid their lives on the line for Jesus and for their families. In 1734, Jonathan Edwards was spiritually sensitive to his church and to his community. And because of his great preaching and teaching, because of his following those doctrines, those ideas that Paul And the others in those earlier days uh, set before the people. He followed that. And because of that, they went out and led their families to the Lord. The Massachusetts area became a hotbed for the spiritual renewal that our church prays for every Monday morning down in the fellowship hall. The revival fires in that day spread across the country. In 1792, a young Baptist cobbler named William Carey went to India to talk to men and women, boys and girls, about Jesus. And the modern foreign mission movement began. There were those that came along, Karl Barth, Helmut Tielicke, William Barclay, And then, of course, as the years passed, there was Billy Graham, who stood behind so many different pulpits all around the world and preached the unerring gospel of Jesus Christ. And literally tens, hundreds of thousands of people came to a point and place of faith in their life. And then, of course, there was you, great Christian fathers, Standing 
for Christ in our day. There is not always an easy way. Sometimes it's very, very hard to do that. It was hard for Paul. It was hard for Paul to say, hey, you guys, straighten up. Change what you're saying. Uh, Get off of that message that you're talking about right now. That's wrong. Remember what we preached there. Preach that. Just because we are Christians, the problems don't necessarily just disappear in front of us like magic. But as the song says, we've made our choice. We've settled the question. We are God's people. God has always had a people. Thank goodness we have some Christian fathers here today who have made their choice and they are going to continue to take their stand for the risen Christ. In the passage we read, Paul is taking his stand for God. He did it again and again and again. When the leaders of the local churches there in Galatia began giving out these incorrect statements, Paul was not swayed away from the gospel by what they said. The Galatian letter, Paul says, is not the message of men, but of God. Paul was not seeking the approval of men, but the approval of God. He stood with all courage against all foes. Paul said we cannot be saved from our sins by obeying the law. We are saved only by believing in Jesus. If you have been given the strength, are each of you men here today doing what God has called you to do? Do you love your wives as you should? Are you taking time for your children your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren? Are you putting God first in your home today? God has always had a people. Are you clearly identifiable in that group as a Christian father today? I know many of you men are. There are a lot of things you need to do before you die. You need to fix that thing in the attic that's always giving problems. You need to see that your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, finish their education. You need to catch that six-pound largemouth bass. You need to see Rock City. But the most important thing that you will ever do, and you need to do it day by day by day, is to take a stand strongly for God Almighty in our day. We need to put off some other things. Every once in a while, I talk to folks in our church, and I say, you know, we need a little help in this area. Could you help us? And sometimes people say, well, Pastor, I am so busy. And they start mentioning the things that they're doing. I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. And I always want to say, when they tell me that, five years from now, how much difference are those things going to make? But you know, eternity, eternity will be different for so many 
if you would do the thing that I'm asking you to do. We need to stand strongly for God. Let some of the things uh, fall to others that they can do just as well. And they perhaps are not uh, Christian people. Give them some of the jobs that are just busy work. And you be about the thing that God has called you and has gifted you to do. Think through it. And then take that step of faith and stand strongly for God. Some people come to the point of questioning. They have a lot of questions. The old, older gentleman in the neighborhood came to the local pastor. They were both in the Kiwanis Club there in the town, and, and they both had been around each other for a long time. Both of them knew that the other man was bright and sensitive and a caring person. They knew that about each other. The older man said to the preacher, I know you're a logical man. I've been listening to you in Kiwanis Club for years. Well, I'm having a problem, and I don't know who to ask about it other than you. I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to live. I didn't ask to mature. I see these signs along beside the road as I'm driving along, and they say, repent now. I see Bibles in motel rooms. The thing that has really got me upset is my little niece came to me yesterday, and she said, Uncle Bob, won't you please trust in Jesus now before you die? At different times in my life, people have told me that I was going to hell if I didn't do such and such and such. I'm a logical man, and I know you're a logical man, he said to the pastor. Where is the logic in all of that? The pastor thought for a minute and answered in this way. Suppose you were walking through a field. There was a hole in the field that was covered up by some brush that was kind of leaning over the sides of the hole. And you weren't paying close attention. And as you walked along, you fell into the hole. You didn't ask to be there, but that's where you were. A friend of yours, after hours, and you were so glad to see him, a friend of yours came by and found you down at the bottom of the hole. He went and got a ladder and brought it back and put it down in the hole so that it would be real easy for you just to climb out of the hole on the ladder. Instead of climbing out, you went to the other side of the hole and sat down. You said, well... I'm uh, in the hole. I didn't ask to be here, but this is where I am, so I'm just going to stay here. Is that logical? Without Jesus, no matter where you are, 
you're in a hole. And it's our hope, my hope, the body of Christ's hope, that you will make a choice, that you will please become a part of God's family, that you will please become a part of that movement that is trying to reach out and touch our world in a very positive way. And heavens knows our world needs it during these days. We want to ask you to come and join with us as we're about that mission. If you're here this morning and you're already a believer, you've already trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then we want to ask you to come and join with us and help us. We need your help. We need the talents that God has given to you. We need those talents to be put to work in a church where you can serve and where you can continue to grow and where you can help others continue to grow. This morning on this uh, Father's Day, I want to give a strong invitation to every man that's in the house. If for whatever reason your life hasn't been lining up to the things that you know that God wants you to do, I hope you'll come down here to the front this morning and maybe on bended knee you would have a time of prayer with the Lord. Maybe you would come and say, you know, I want to turn it around in my life. I've been a Christian for years and years and years, but I've kind of gotten off on a side road and I need to get back on the main highway where Jesus wants me. This morning, if you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, speaking words that you know would be a blessing to you in the long run. I pray that you would respond. We're going to sing a hymn. I'm going to stand right down here. And if the Lord leads, you just slip out, slip forward, and take a stand for Jesus. Let's stand together as we